The Superpower Mamas channel is brought to you by Superpower Experts. Visit superpowerexperts.com to join the superpower universe and unlock your superpowers today. You're listening to Superpower Mamas, reclaiming the sacred journey of motherhood with Tatiana Berende. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Superpower Mamas podcast show. I'm your host, Tatiana Berende, and today our guest is Stephanie Bolster McCannon, and we are going to be talking about a topic that has been so on my mind and heart for the last two years and just really up front and center for me, which is the pandemic and our kids' mental health. Um, and I'm sure those of you as parents have found the impact on your own mental health and on your children as well. So we're going to dive into that. I'm really happy to have Stephanie with us today. Let me tell you a little bit about her before we dive in. Stephanie Bolster McCannon is an organizational psychologist, published author of Bolster Up, The Ultimate Guide to Becoming a Happy, Healthy Human, and CEO of Bolster Up, a well-being coaching company that supports emotional, mental, and physical mastery. Stephanie's interest in supporting others intensified with her need for healing as a young mother and professional. Working with employees from large worldwide corporations to local private educational institutions, government agencies, and private clients, Stephanie discovered a winning combination that brings true health and happiness to working professionals and parents with the bolstrap method. So I am just delighted to have you here with us on the show today. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me, Tatiana. I'm really excited to give voice to this really, really important topic. So thank you for providing an avenue for us to discuss it. Absolutely. I think, you know, in, in our, in our fear and the overwhelm around the pandemic and so much death that we've been experiencing and the concern for our physical health, I think the, um, the mental health aspect has really gone overlooked in a lot of places and, I think it's a huge, huge issue because our mental health and our physical health and our spiritual well-being, they're all tied together. Um, so I, I really am so happy that you're talking about it and that you're here today and that we can have this conversation and broadcast it as far reaching as we can get it because I just think it's so important. And, and like you said before, we got on, not enough people are talking about it. Thank you. Yeah. And I think awareness uh, is the first step in just about anything. Any type yep. of change is just being aware. And I think that's the biggest struggle most of us have is there's not awareness. So I'm I'm super happy to bring awareness to people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. So before we, um, we dive into our conversation, I like to ask people what their superpowers are. And I'd love to hear your superpowers, especially in the world of mental health. Sure. And I love it. I help people see and be their best authentic self. I had to learn that myself, <laughs> what it meant to be authentically me, to see me um, as who I, as I really am, and to be that. So it's really about seeing and being who we really are. And that goes for our children too. Oftentimes, we get caught up in people pleasing or trying to fit in and we lose that sense of authenticity. Mm -hmm. And when I can help people see who they are, all their goodness, all their love, all their capabilities, their strengths, what they value as a unique individual, and then the courage to be those things. It's just, it's, so <laughs> it's so life-giving to me as a human being to be able to help somebody do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like giving them themselves back kind of. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. That is one of the greatest gifts that we could give one another. I think that's really, you know, those of us who signed up for this mission this time around, it's like we agreed to come down here together and remind each other who we are. Yes. Yeah. And it's lovely. It's it's a wonderful experience to walk along somebody and see them, you know, blossom or mm -hmm. see them recover or see them identify what's really important. And then, as I said, it's not just seeing who we are or who we choose to be. It's having that courage to take a step out and to do those things that are important to us. It can be very scary and it's helpful to have yeah. somebody walk alongside you. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we are going to go into a quick break before we dive into the the juice of this conversation. Before we go to break, will you tell our listeners where they can go to find more about you and your work and your book? Oh, absolutely. I made it really easy. <laughs> Just go to bolsterup.com. I also have a website for the book, bolsteropbook.com, but both can be found just at bolsterup.com. Fabulous. Thank you so much. And if you have not yet come over to superpowerexperts.com, please come and play with us in our community. You can trial that for 14 days for free. Um, I'm offering my new moon ceremonies in there. We have our fabulous community vibe call, which is always free every month. And sometimes we feature guests on those shows. You never know who's going to, I mean, on those uh, calls, you never know who's going to show up for the community vibe call. And then we've got some great classes and stuff going on over there. So come and check us out over at superpowerexperts.com. We're talking with Stephanie McCannon today about the pandemic and our kids' mental health. More when we get back. Stay tuned. I'm so excited for this conversation. It's going to be a good one. I can tell. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. If you're ready to transform yourself and transform the world through podcasting, we invite you to join us. We co-create a non-competitive, collaborative environment designed to support you as you step into your greatness. Go now to superpowerexperts.com and click on the Programs tab to get started today. All right, we're back. So Stephanie, I feel like this is such like, there's so much to cover in this conversation. And we only have this, you know, finite amount of time. But I think maybe one of the most important things to discuss off the right out the gate is, you know, how can we know if our children's mental health has been impacted by the pandemic? That's a really great question. I'm glad you asked it. And it's really by observing their behavior. Um, we, we can't help but to feel emotions. And oftentimes, as adults, we struggle with that. And our children do as well. They're feeling things that they don't maybe have the words for, or they don't know how to express it appropriately. So when I say being aware, it's truly looking at the behaviors of what's happening. And there's been an incredible amount of regression at yeah. every age and stage mm -hmm. because they're trying to process all this fear, uncertainty, which breeds anxiety. So we're, we're looking at behaviors, regression, um, what a lot of people would call acting out. And mm -hmm. I'm a huge proponent of we need to connect before we correct. And I want that to be a mantra of so many people loving children right now is connection over correction. Um, again, what we were seeing as the return to school is the regression at every age, a lot of fighting, you know, a lot of fighting, even with high schoolers, usually you see fighting in middle school, um, aggressive behaviors and things like that, but they don't know where to place these, these anxieties, these fears, this emotion that they're feeling, um, even anger, anger of not being able to be with friends and, and missing out on birthday parties and significant events. Or people they love dying. Ex oh, well, that's a big, that's such a big one. You know, the um, thousands and thousands, the last time I looked at it, there were hundreds of thousands of children that have lost a loved one or a caregiver parent to the epidemic. And think about the single parents out there that these children no longer have a caregiver or they no longer have the grandparents that they relied on for after school care or before school care, or they don't have the aunts and the uncles that they relied on. It's an immense amount of, of suffering. I just, uh, we need to hug. <laughs> we really need to yeah. embrace one another. And I will shout out, not just for the children, but we know as parents if we're not doing self-care, if, if we don't have it to give, or we're not doing it for ourselves, then we don't have it to give. 
So, well, and that's actually one of the things as, as I asked that first question, I was just so painfully aware of how many parents mental health has been impacted by the pandemic. And it's really hard to parent right now, especially if, you know, it, it seems like we are starting to come out of this, right? But even then, it's like you re- you start to relax into something or you want to relax into something and then another wave comes through and then you're back online for school and parents are not okay right now. And so how do we support our children's mental health when our mental health has also been impacted? Well, I will go back to we, we have to take care of ourselves. Just like on the airplane, you have to provide oxygen for yourself before you do your child. And we can do those things together. Uh, I recommend a lot of activities that we can do together. That is fun. By the way, that's my big mantra right now. (laughs) Everybody needs to have some fun. And that's so with you. It's like we've forgotten that that's okay to do, right? Well, and, and exactly. And so a lot of my clients lately won't even give themselves permission to have fun. Yeah. You know, and so we really need to reevaluate what we're doing for our self-care and what I call a vitamin P list. And um, vitamin P is for pleasure. And it's all those things that are important to you that just make you feel good, that put a little pep in your step, that make things worthwhile. What I saw Tatiana so much, and, and I'm sure that your listeners can resonate with this, is through the last couple of years, our children and ourselves, we've lost hope. We mm-hmm. lost, you know, this, this desire for looking forward to things. And that's hope. Um, looking forward to celebrations, looking forward to seeing loved ones, looking forward. And we weren't allowed to do that. Basically, that was taken from us. We weren't allowed to look forward to any of those things that we found fun. So that's my first um a tip is to encourage caregivers, parents, particularly moms, to reevaluate their vitamin P, reevaluate what they're doing for fun, um, and do things to celebrate the, the lost loved ones. There's so many things that we can do to honor that. And we know from a psychological perspective that that wasn't getting done, that we weren't able to go to funerals. We weren't able to celebrate lives and the loss of lives together as a community. And we're social creatures. We need that. So I encourage, you know, caregivers and parents who have experienced loss in the family to, if they haven't already, there's, there's no time limit on this but to create some closure for everybody to celebrate the lost lives, do a scrapbook, draw pictures, allow yourselves and and your children to express the emotion that they're experiencing and not judge it. So sometimes when we ask ourselves how we're feeling about a situation, we, we don't give ourselves permission to feel the range of emotion. We think that we have to be okay with it, or I'm not allowed to be angry, or I have to just accept this. But if we don't allow ourselves to feel and then express what was authentic to us, then it gets pushed away somewhere else. <laughs> and I'm a huge proponent that the body keeps the score. And this is happening to our children. It's hanging on to these things that either they weren't given permission or they don't have an outlet yet to to process what they were experiencing. So, yeah, it's interesting. I've noticed with my daughter, like her school, they just made masks optional and um and she was so excited at first. She was like so ready to get this thing off my face, you know, like and then she's been coming home and she's really like been having to process like, is this, is this okay to not be wearing a mask? Like, am I sick? She keeps on sort of like, I have this little like tickle in my throat. She already had COVID. Like we went through it as a family. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's this, this underlying anxiety, you know, and this kind of like, like we don't know what's okay behavior anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's another phenomenon. Anytime there's uncertainty, it breeds anxiety. We don't like uncertainty, but life right. is uncertain. And it's, again, it's a difficult concept for us as adults and children thrive on predictability. Yeah. At times, 
you know, meal times, you know, they love predictability. It, it makes them feel safe. So if we look at that predictable aspect in terms of safety and helping our children feel safe, it's great to have a conversation about number one, focusing on what they can predict. What, what, what is something that is solid that they can rely on? And then also giving them opportunities to, ex- to talk about this uncertain stuff. Because as parents, we don't want to give false certainty and, and take that away when they've just, you know, we don't know. I don't want, I would not want to tell children right now, you'll never have to wear a mask again. Right. Because we don't know, but we can definitely dialogue with your daughter because they are uncertain. There Mm -hmm. is fear. There's a lot of anxiety. And back to your first point and something that just, again, it's awareness. You know, there was this five-year-old that I was talking with and he was very sad about killing grandma, Mm -hmm. you know, and and he just breaks my heart. He, he, he understood based on the news and the talk that he can't see grandma. He can't hug grandma because he could kill her. Jeez. And the, the heaviness, the burden of, mm. of carrying that. This is why this topic is not over just because we yeah. go back to school tomorrow or we stop wearing a mask. We have got to keep this conversation going for the rest of their lives. This is something that they've experienced children as well as us adults that we've never had to deal with before. And our mental health, especially children, was already shaky before the pandemic. Right. Um, so it's a topic that we have to not just consistently address, but I would say aggressively address. We need to insist that our schools have programs, have counselors, have, you know, people at the ready, have conversations. Again, talking to teachers, I love getting invited to talk to teachers. I used to do a lot of mindfulness training in schools. And right now, just like with the parents, my focus is on connection. And the best way that we can connect with our children is through fun, is through play, is through allowing them to express that. Because the hope that I want to give everybody is we are resilient and our children are incredibly resilient. And I think right now we have the perfect opportunity to teach and express resiliency. That's one of the markers of mental health is being resilient. It's not that unpleasant things or sad things or hurtful things aren't going to happen in our lifetime. It's how do we bounce back from them? How do we process that? How do I carry on? How do I find hope? How do I still have fun? How do I laugh and play even in the midst or after some of these unpleasant things of life. And if we as a society right now can help our children be resilient and have tools and techniques that they can embody, then they're going to be much better off than I'd say we were, (laughs) not worse. So that's my hope right now for this generation um, is for us to teach that resilience yeah, you know, it's interesting when you were sharing at the beginning about, you know, the the young ones who've lost parents um, who were their sole caregivers. I, I was just thinking back to, you know, sort of like the founding fathers of this country and, and, and that time period and so many people, um, you know, and like my my husband's great, great grandfather, he, I think he left home in Europe when he was like 10 on a boat by himself and never saw his parents again. So it's like, it's not like we've never done anything like this before as a species, right? Like we've, we've suffered, like we know how to do that and we do know how to come back and rebuild and we're still here. Um, And I think it's really important to remember that too, that like, we're not the only generation. They're not the only generation who has, who has struggled through something. I think it's almost if anything, it's like what our expectations are of their abilities is what needs to shift. Because I think with our children, you know, we want them to be able to be children and to like, no one wants their 10 year old to have to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
and we've kind of set up our society so that psychologically a 10 year old isn't really prepared to do something like that. Whereas back then maybe they would have been a little bit more so. Um, so I, I think there's an invitation here to really shift um, how we view our children's capacity too, not overburdening them, but, but like you said, like, they are resilient. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at the little kids who like their entire experience of school so far has been with masks on, like they haven't known anything different. Right. They adapt, right? Like that's, so yeah, I, I, I love that you're highlighting our, our capacity for resilience and our ability to come through. I think that's really, really important. Um, another thing that stood out because, you know, this whole like not having permission or not feeling like we're allowed to have fun right now. I think a lot of that is because we've been so harshly judged by one another in this time mm-hmm. period. Like there's been some real intense bashing going on of everywhere you look around you. And so there's this kind of like, oh, my God, if I have fun, are other people going to shun me for that? And so the the invitation that I heard as you were talking about that is like, if you are seeing someone else enjoying themselves, like take a moment and revel in that. Celebrate with them that they are enjoying their life in that moment. That's going to start to open you up to more experiences and giving yourself permission to do that because you're seeing that it's okay that someone else is doing it and you're making it okay for them. You're not judging them for being happy in that moment. Because I think a lot of times when we're afraid to be happy because we're going to be judged, probably we're some of the people doing the judging when we're out and about watching people be happy. Yeah. I'm so glad that you put it that way. And um, again, we're, I believe that this is a playground that we were given permission to enjoy. And that's our, I still believe that's our main focus. We should be having fun and loving each other and celebrating as much as we can. Again, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have hardships and difficulties. And this pandemic certainly has been. But I have seen children from horrific, horrific backgrounds be able to laugh and play and love. And, and again, when we focus on their strengths, when we can pinpoint and show them that's part of resilience and that's part of being authentic is knowing yourself and what you can bring to the table. What are my strengths? And children have them. <laughs> and we can, sure do. Them, we can help them identify that they do have, you know, the, the inner um, compass. They do have the resilience and the strength and they're capable of so much more. They really are capable. But again, I think as adults, we have to learn those language parts for ourselves and we have to adopt that and do that. Again, that's why I said the focus needs to be on fun. And the more that we're having fun and we're celebrating, not to diminish other aspects of the painful processes that we've been going through, but when we shift that focus it does allow what I call breathing room. We allow our lives to breathe again. And I feel like we've been a little suffocated. Yeah. And I want to just say, cause it's like, so in my, I'm like hearing it so loud right now. Like you can have fun without alcohol. I feel oh, like yeah. so many adults have been conditioned, especially during the pandemic. I mean, alcohol sales went through the roof during the pandemic And I think we need to remember, you know, there's probably a lot of quiet alcoholism going on right now. And we need to remember that it's okay and it's actually necessary and our children need us to be able to show up and have fun without it. Yes. And this is where I I have a thing. It's called forced family fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's called forced family fun because a lot of the time, you know, nobody wanted to come and play the board game or do charades Mm -hmm. or you know, whatever. So I would just set a family timer and it was forced, (laughs) bad parent or not. And it's like for at least 15 minutes, you have to engage. And Tatiana, the truth is by the time we rolled the dice for the, at the last 15 minutes, they're like, oh, one more time, one more time. Mm -hmm. So it's just getting them to participate all members, you know, just a a throw out to my husband. He didn't always want to come and participate, but I'm like, yeah, we're going to set a good example and you're coming. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so it was the board games. It was all those silly, simple things. We don't have to go to Disney World to, right. to have fun. We don't have to have alcohol. We don't have to have grand, you know, schemes. It could be as simple as you know, getting a piece of paper and just asking everybody to draw the, the silliest, funniest face that they can make or passing the paper around and everybody adding to it. The, the idea that we're trying to cultivate here is that togetherness. We're in it together. You know, for those that, that have the opportunity to be with loved ones, we need to ignite those fun, engaging aspects of our sociability um, again, that's why I mentioned that the first part, we need to connect before we correct, because what we're seeing in our children is regression. And they don't remember what it's like to be with children. I read an article and it just made my heart sing because teachers are already stressed out. Yeah. And now they have children in the classroom that don't want to sit at the desk or want to talk to one another. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, oh, you know, have mercy. These these teachers feel that they're they're really trying to command their their classroom, and but the children are so excited to see each other that they're they're getting in trouble for talking. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, my uh, we my daughter went to a new school this year, and the teacher said when we were doing an interview that um, she came into the school halfway through the year and. The teacher said that at the beginning of the year, some of her students, because they had a whole year online, they, the word she used was feral. They were, they were, they were like feral children and there were fourth graders that didn't know how to spell cat, um, because they had just been cooped up in their homes and, and completely dysregulated. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But, you know, and, and so how do we, how do we help our children through that? Because it's not their fault, right? but at the same time, and it's not our fault too. I exactly. think that's really important. It, I'm so glad that you said that because I think a lot of parents are feeling a lot of pressure yeah. um, to, to recreate what once was. And I think that that's one of the fallacies that we may be under is who said what we had before was the best? Yes, definitely not. <laughs> so I, I just say, throw out what you thought we had and, and let's progress forward with how do, how do we make the, how do we recreate something or create something, not recreate, how do we create something new? Right. This is an opportunity. And if we shift again, it's, it's our thinking, our mindset. If we shift and not have to go back, not have to make everybody behave or participate the way it used to be, but use this as an opportunity to say, how, how can we move forward and still accomplish things that we want to accomplish? We want our children educated. I certainly want my fourth graders knowing how to spell cat but maybe we're not going to do it in the exact same way. So I think our society, and, and I think that this is part of the evolution of life and how our earth operates and breathes and, and nourishes is this was a big change and there's opportunity in change. And um, I just want to give parents an opportunity to let themselves off the hook that it doesn't have to be the way that it was. And there's grieving in that too. Yeah. Um, sure. You know, but, but being open, asking those questions, what is, what do I want? What's the intention? How can I move forward with my children in a way that, that feels good, that's supportive, that's honoring to them and to me? And I think when we start asking those questions, we've already learned, I've talked to many parents and the things that used to be really important to them aren't important anymore. Mm -hmm. So they've already started making those shifts. And many have realized that those family moments, those family times have are more sacred. And when we can maybe start something new, start that forced 15 minutes of family fun. <laughs> See what comes out of that. But asking those questions, what's my intention? What do I want out of this? What, what can I learn from this? 
Yeah. You know, um, I, I love everything that you're saying and that you're bringing forward. And I think it's so important. Um, I want to go back to pleasure again for one moment, because I was really feeling the parents who are like, I'm like, so depressed fun feels like so far away for me. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're in a hole, it is fun. It feels like the last thing that you can access. And I think I just wanted to share with those parents, if you are one of those people who you're listening to this, and you're like, that, like, I can't do fun right now. Mm-hmm. Start with relaxing, finding a way to let yourself relax, even if it's just taking a breath and finding where there's tension in your body, and intentionally bringing your focus there, and bringing in some relaxation, because you can't jump from in a hole to fun. But you can step your way out of the hole so that you can access fun and fun is a is a really important and super valuable goal. And like, yes, I completely agree with you a thousand percent. I think we are here to enjoy this fabulous creation and the things that we can co-create with, with all of life like that. We're here to revel in this. Um, and when we're, when we're shut down, it's that feels so, so, so far away. So, so finding some relaxation can be like a, a baby step out of the hole so that fun becomes more accessible to you. I totally agree. And back to your point with the alcohol, it was really easy to see. I even was falling into that trap when we first got in because, because relaxation, right. Started with, oh, we're going to do a virtual happy hour. Right. And then turned into three virtual happy hours a week. <laughs> and it's like, well, we know the the science behind alcohol and it short circuits really our experience of happiness and fun. And, and that's linked to a hormone, a neurotransmitter called um, serotonin. It, it is a quick feel good. It hits the dopamine. So we do feel relaxed for a little bit for a very short time, but it robs us of that long-term capacity to feel good, which is what real joy and happiness is. So I do encourage them to find ways to relax. Um, I teach a breathing, actually many, 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 but four, seven, eight breathing is my favorite go-to mm. And it really does turn on your parasympathetic nervous system. So you're engaging the chemistry that will allow you to truly relax. So I think that's an excellent, excellent point. And yeah, I don't expect anybody to jump out of, you know, the hole and and onto the dance floor. That's, um, we have, there's a process, you know, there's a little baby step. That's why I like the vitamin P list. I get my clients to put like at least 20 things on there. Just one little thing that I can do today that feels good. And a lot of that is self-care. Is it take a bath? Is it talk to somebody? That's the other thing I really want to give, you know, our parents permission to talk to their children and give them permission to talk to other people. Talk to their friends. Yeah. yeah, It doesn't have to be all okay. (laughs) And it's okay to admit that I'm really struggling. Like I'm, you know, again, because of the fear and the anxiety, we're less, our ability, um, some call it patience is been, you know, hijacked. And so we then feel guilty because we're not, we're not, behaving or participating in ways that show how we really feel about one another or towards our children. So I want to give parents permission to say, you know, I snapped at my child the other day, or I, I felt really angry that they didn't pick up their clothes or whatever, but identifying that identifying and, and it, and being authentic with that feeling and then being able, this is how we help build that resilience. We can go to our child or to our loved one or whomever and say, you know, the other day when I snapped at you or I used these words or I put my hands on my hip or I whacked my finger in your face, you know, mommy was feeling, you know, not very cared for herself. You know, I was feeling angry or upset and your socks on the floor really weren't the issue for me. 
but it does help me feel better because cleanliness is important to me or organization is important to me. I'm wondering if we could come up with a way that we could honor each other. Me, maybe you picking up your socks, putting them in the hamper, and then something that you can identify to do with the child. I love that. And and that I love how you just modeled how to, how to have that conversation. Cause I think that's a lot of what we're missing. It's like, okay, that's a great idea, but like, how do I actually say those things? So I'm, I'm loving that you said that if you know, anyone's listening, you need to go back and listen to that again, it's just an example of how to have that conversation. And what I've seen um, having those kinds of conversations with our children does, it's like my daughter knows my oldest daughter she, you know, I was having a, a really hard time. I was super stressed out because my mother's health wasn't well. And, um, and she straight up asked me, she said, uh, she was on her way to school. She said, mom, are you doing anything for yourself today? Mm. Because she knows how important that is to my well being, And so we're, we're not just making amends, we're teaching our children something so important when we have those kinds of conversations. Yes. There's a check-in process that um, I offer to my clients and my students. Um, Couples love doing this together. Families love sharing it. Um, I've done it with my children for many, many years. They're friends who have come over for the years. They look forward to doing it. Camps do it. (laughs) And it's called the three nicest things. And the first question is, what's the nicest thing I did for somebody today? Because there's a sense of value that we place on ourselves when we connect with other people. And again, not I went to build a house for somebody or I gave somebody a million dollars. It's I, I, I lent somebody a pencil or I picked up the towels off the floor for my brother or just the simple little things, the simpler, the better. And the second question is, what's the nicest thing someone did for me? How was I served? What am I recognizing that how people are loving and caring for me? And the third, which is often the most difficult for mothers and why I'm bringing this up now, is what's the nicest thing I did for myself? Mm -hmm. How did I honor me? And it's amazing, the conversations, the things that we learn about one another and our children when we ask the three nicest things instead of, how was your day? Right. <laughs> how was your day? Eh, fine. Sometimes we get no answer. But when we, there, there's, there's a process to these questions and there's an unfolding to it. And again, it's connection building. And that's really what we're we're really trying to do, especially now, is build that connection and highlight. Again, it may not be jumping out of the hole and onto the dance floor, you know, but establishing this consistent connection, the three nicest things, it's a way to allow your children to voice what they're experiencing and also a way for you to model what you're doing how you're caring for others, how you're receiving care and how you're caring for yourself. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because children are picking up. (laughs) They They totally are. are. They totally are. And I love those questions because then it also is like, oh, well, if I'm going to have to answer this question, I need to do something nice for myself. (laughs) Yes, yes. yes, That's the beauty. So at first when I start this, it's like, uh, I don't know, but I'm patient and I, you know, give a lot of (laughs) airtime waiting for them to answer. It's like, come on, you did something. And, you know, after a while, they start seeking out opportunities to love other people and to feel love and remember that. That's the other thing. So often really lovely things are happening to us that we can't, we, when we are depressed, we do not pick up on that. Yeah. It's we we don't feel it. We're not receiving it. So when we're forced to say what what was something that happened to me that felt nice, and sometimes it's still a little grumpy, you know, you know, so and so cut me off and then said they were sorry or or whatever, you know. But it's an opportunity to start seeking out what is working and what's going well. And that breeds life into us again. It, it's renewing. It's it's uplifting. It's consoling to do that. 
Yeah. And, and one of the things I, this has been like a theme with a lot of my clients and actually even my friends lately, um, just going back to the, like reaching out to a friend, if you're having a, a rough day, or even if you're not just like, just to touch in, but, but if you are, I think oftentimes we like, we don't want to reach out when we're, we feel like we're going to be a bummer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're giving someone else the opportunity to do maybe their nicest thing for you when you do that. And when, when we don't ask for help when we need it, we're actually robbing other people of the opportunity because there, there's so many studies that have been done around how you feel bad, go out and help someone else. Like that's going to start getting you out of that funk. We, we don't, provide opportunities for people if we think, oh, there's like something wrong with me. I should always have it together. And if I'm the one who needs help, then like I'm somehow deficient. Like, no, you're actually giving someone else an opportunity to maybe pull themselves out of their funk by asking for just a little, and it's not like I need you to save my life. I mean, sometimes it might be, um, and in which case yeah, I would suggest and recommend calling for professional help because it's a lot to put on on a friend and sometimes your friend might be that person and what an amazing gift that you give to them that they they got to be the one to have that phone call with you or or however that is have that that meal with you um but sometimes you know it doesn't have to be that dire it can just be like i'm having a really hard day and and reaching out it has huge 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 beneficial impact not only on our lives but on other people's too Yes, there's a lot of science behind those three questions. Um, And you're absolutely right. And I learned that actually many years ago when I was struggling as a mother and a woman, but, you know, felt like I had to be strong and I couldn't voice, you know, difficulties. I had to be perfect, had to please everybody. I had to say yes. Anytime anybody asked me for something or there was an opportunity to serve, I was over serving. And somebody said to me at church one day, they're like, you know, we really appreciate all your work, but you know, every time that you for pick those opportunities that do feel good because other people need feel, to feel good too. <laughs> and don't, don't hesitate reaching out to other people, as you were saying, Tatiana, to help them help you because they feel good getting to do things for you. Exactly. If you're saying I'm struggling and I don't have time to make dinner tonight. And that's a big ask, but the community that I was in, that's how we loved each other. Mm. You know, it's like, do y'all have any leftovers? You know, my children are starving. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, not, not literally, but, you know, I was, I was running a business and company and some of those things were the things that I needed. And so when we can start to ask for what we desire and not, this again goes back to being authentic. I really did need help. And it it allowed me to cultivate deeper relationships, allowing other people to feel good about themselves because as human beings, we do like to serve. We do like to help people. We, we feel scientifically it's proven. We do feel happier when we're giving just mm-hmm. like we're receiving, but we, when we give, so ask, 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 reach out to your friends, let them be the one. I'm so glad that you brought it up that way. Let them be the one to do their nicest thing for you. Yeah. Stephanie, I'm, enjoying this conversation so much. I feel like we've covered so much really deep and rich ground and we're coming towards the end of our time. I'm wondering if there's anything that you want to make sure that our listeners here that we have not yet covered, especially when it comes, you know, circling back around. We've talked a lot about parents' mental health in this because I don't think you can really separate our mental health from our children's mental health. Like they're not going to do well if we're not doing well. Um, but but let's bring it back around to the kids. Is there anything you want to make sure that our parents walk away with from this conversation that we haven't covered yet? Yes. And I think, again, it's back to that awareness piece is just try to take a step back, especially if you're finding that your children are not behaving or misbehaving or feral or other people, if you're feeling that judgment. And I think that's what it... I, 
so many parents are feeling right now. They didn't do the best job as a teacher because that's not what they were signing up for. (laughs) Or they feel that they've let their children down somehow by not having the experiences that maybe we got to have when we were growing up because they couldn't have the birthday parties or they couldn't see grandma and grandpa is allowing the parents themselves to get themselves off the hook so that they can connect to the children. I'm most concerned with behavior being corrected right now for what's going to be happening in school systems. So I'm just asking parents and teachers and caregivers to be aware of developing a connection before a correction. More than any other time, I think our children and ourselves, we we need that physical bonding, those hugs, those reassurances, those check-ins, and, you know, taking that deep breath when our children are having a little bit more tantrums or they've regressed enough that they're wetting the bed at night or they got into a fight at school, um, just being aware that the, uh, the regression is, is just a, a part of what they're experiencing right now, but it doesn't have to stay that way. Our children are resilient. There is hope. But just to really be aware of how our children are behaving and helping them through it, through connection, not correction. Does that make sense? I love it. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, And I, you know, I immediately go to like, yeah, that's what we need to be doing with each other, too. (laughs) It's like, because we're doing that, we're, if you look around, we're correcting each other all the time. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing that we were finding in school is, is that the children have become, there's, there's no allowance for any, any rule breaking, if you will. And there's so many more rules to follow, right? You know, they're becoming police. Yes, yes, yes. And they think that they're doing that um, because they're scared. Because mm-hmm. they've been told that if you don't follow these rules and these policies, the, the consequence is severe, yeah. severe. So helping them dialogue, maybe asking them if they have been experienced, if somebody that's being told upon or they're doing the telling. Uh, that's another thing that teachers were reporting is just an immense, immense amount of policing. <laughs> um, so just as a parent, being aware that that's happening is the first thing. There's nothing wrong with you or your child. There's nothing wrong. This is all normal behavior. And the more we dialogue about it, the more we allow them to express or to teach them how to express what they're what they're feeling and what they're going through the better able they're going to be to bounce back from it and to be resilient and to carry on and, and create who knows what, what wonderful things are going to spring out of what we've experienced because our children are capable of so much more. Yeah. And I just, I want to speak to, to that piece of like, if you're afraid your child, I know so many parents, I've talked to so many parents who are like afraid their child is going to be behind yeah. Um, because, but it's like, they're all in the same boat in this generation. Um, well, actually, I mean, and that might not be entirely true because there are kids that did not have access to internet and kids that did. And that's like a huge difference, but I think it's, it's, it's about, um, encouraging them to be more accepting of other people being in a different, different places too. Like, I think there's a huge opportunity in that. Like what kind of society do we get to create out of this? Mm -hmm. If our kids, instead of judging other kids for being in a different place than them developmentally, um, create space for that kid to come and join them. Um, I think also there's a tremendous opportunity there. I totally agree. And this, there's a concept, the Montessori concept of allowing children to teach children, uh, to teach other children and allowing them to kind of choose what they're trying to learn in that moment, but really allowing what, what a beautiful way to, to love other human beings, particularly as children and how exciting to share or to help, you know, a classmate learn to read or 
spell cat or to do their arithmetic or whatever the case may be, we're all going to be, our children are going to be at different levels developmentally. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And we can allow our children, teach them to, to, to serve and to help their fellow classmates to, to rise up. I believe that's one of the shifts that I'd like to see, particularly in public education, mm-hmm. um, to allow that. Now, there's some shifts that have to be made, but it can definitely be done. And I think this is the perfect opportunity to allow that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, there are shifts that need to be made. And like you said, it's like, we don't necessarily want to go back to how it was before. Let's use this shakeup and make some of those shifts so that we can accommodate what's what's coming through and what's wanting to be born out of this. Yeah, yeah. Stephanie, I want to just thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world and for coming on the show today to share it with us. I'm just so grateful to know that you're out there doing what you're doing. Will you tell our listeners again where they can go to find out more about you and your work and if they want to bring you into their school system, how they would go about doing that, all of the, all of that. Sure, sure. Yeah, you can find me at bolsterup.com. Um, just about anything and everything (laughs) that I do is right there on that site. I have other programs, but they basically all get funneled through bolsterup.com, including the book, which is, I think, going to be a valuable tool for parents and organizations of all sizes and shapes is the bolster up. It's called bolster up the ultimate guide to being a happy, healthy human. Um, you can also get it on Amazon. Fabulous. Well, thank you again so much. And to our listeners, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this conversation today, for taking it into your life and out into your community. These are making these shifts is what is going to help change this world. And so I'm so grateful for you for showing up, for listening, and for implementing this into your life. And until next time, reclaim your parenting journey as a sacred one for yourself for your children, and for the world. Many blessings. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.